everybody, it's Christine Mason. Welcome back to the Rose Woman Pod. Today, my guest is Brian Clement. He is the author of more than 30 books on health, healing, vitality, wholeness. He's the founder, along with his wife, Dr. Anna Maria Clement, of the Hippocrates Institute in South Florida in the United States. Hippocrates is pretty radical health and healing, raw, vegan, wheatgrass, mind, body, spirit stuff. Uh, detoxification from things in the environment that are making our bodies sick. And at the core of all this is the hope and the invitation that each person will live in their maximum vitality. So not everybody agrees with what they have to say, but I have visited their facility three times now, and the stories of people's miraculous transformations in a matter of weeks of changing their diet and exercising and moving into new relationship with their body mind are really remarkable. Coming off of decades of being on blood pressure medications, for example. But in today's episode, what we're primarily talking about is his book, Seven Keys to Sexual Vitality. And sexual vitality is nested, of course, in the overall vitality of the human body. And we get to a lot of subjects, uh, a lot of topics around like what we learn on about being sexual and sensual, particularly sort of if you're midlife or older, what you might have learned in, in, in eras when sexuality was really shamed. But we spend a good deal of time at the end talking about andropause, what he calls menopause, which is another book he's written that just came out this year. And did you know that men begin losing their testosterone at the age of 25? So andropause begins much, much earlier than menopause or perimenopause. And men have been basically hiding it because there's such an expectation for them to stay macho, 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 mucho, macho, their whole life. So that creates a lot of other challenges and issues, but he really urges us to be in full authenticity about what our needs and desires are. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Brian Clement and yours truly. Take it away. So you say in the book that healthy sex is potent medicine. And I wonder if you could talk for a little bit about what the benefits and purposes of sex are beyond procreation. I just finished reading Oder's book on orgasm as transcendence, but I'm thinking there are some more practical things in the all right. Well, let's let's get to the most mundane and practical things. Uh, there's overwhelming data from around the globe now that shows that if you have uh, sex on a regular basis, you'll have less ovarian cancer, less cervical problems with the men, uh, less prostate cancer, less swollen prostate. So we know the biological effect of that. Now, let me let me indulge this question for a minute and explain my take on this, that when we fully express ourselves sexually and we have intercourse, that's what I'm speaking about now, it is a pinnacle way to reach God. That what's really odd to me is that for thousands of years, every organized religion has made sex taboo. Some religions basically say, if you're the master of this religion or the priest of this religion, you can't even have sex, that it's a bad thing to have that. And I, th I see it 
inversely. I see it's the total opposite thing. But all of you listening to us today speak, have you ever been higher than when you were fully in love with somebody in a committed relationship and you had an orgasm together? You reach that, as I, as I perceive God in a quantum physics way, is that ultimate release where you're connected on an atomic level to the multiple universes, that you're no longer in a physical body. And so this drive that we're now talking about is really behind every thought, every feeling, and every action from the time we're young and born until the time we're 100. We never are not sexual. And think of the power of a woman in this. What would happen if we didn't have women? The fact of the matter is that women are the core of the real realization of the human species. Now, with that said, when you start to recognize that women have that extraordinary ability, and forget it, ability, it's, it's, it's a powerful gift to perpetuate an entire species. And we don't let them sexually express themselves unless it's to attract me, to attract a man. Something's wrong with it. I think women should be able, as I'm able to, I've never even questioned it one time in my entire life, uh, be sexually satisfied myself, not be to attract you, but to turn myself on. So the ultimate act of sexual release, the intimacy, the highest spiritual place I believe you can be, is when two people have a committed relationship and they get to that place of orgasm and do that release together, they become one as one God or one being or one unit. So transcendence is a high bar. Um, I, I love the idea, yeah. but, I, but, but for most people who are coming, let, let's just talk about this idea of vitality. You run this center where people come in all stages of health and wellness, uh, sometimes for a minor improvement or a tune-up, and sometimes with very serious illnesses. Many of the people who come are in their midlife. And if so when you're approaching someone and you're saying, look, you want to be vital, you don't start with transcendence. What are the first steps to a sexual, a healthy sexual embodiment? Well, uh, this is an interesting question you're asking because you may notice even when those of you listening had a common cold, you didn't have an interest in sex. Uh, what happened is the energy, the vital energy, the vitality you're speaking about now goes into healing. So talking about the wide variety of people, somebody like you that's here and vital, you come here to gain extra vitality, to be in an environment, an ambiance, an atmosphere that fosters that, that permits you to do it. And you know, you're with your tribe basically doing this. And that is one person. When I'm talking to somebody who has stage four disease, and possibly, quite possibly, they were told they have weeks or months to live, I'm not talking to them about sexual intimacy and intercourse. I'm talking to them about the relationship, the partner they have, their children. So even our children are a result of sexual vitality. So to give you the ability to feel empowered in your own vitality, and vitality is not always sexual. Remember, vitality 
is really the essence of tapping in to the power of the universe. And when you can do that, we can use it for uh, spiritual awakening. You can use it for emotional uh, calming. You can use it for physical exercise. And you do that. I see you do it well. And I think that we're like-minded on that. Uh, my sexual uh, flavor, my sexual taste is pretty intense. So if I wasn't lifting heavy weights and moving my body and exercising and doing aerobic exercise, it, I would be out of balance because I would be thinking and feeling and driven more so to always search out intimacy. So for me, I use exercise to, to take that vitality, that energy, and to calm that sexual desire down. Hmm. Hmm. And, and so there's two points in there. One is the component of you, in order to really be ready for positive sexual relations, you have to have a baseline of health, like you said, with the common cold. And then uh, you can also use your biology or your choices to regulate out of regulation desire. So I think for most people, I'd like to start first with the things that you say in the book about creating your most healthful container. I would say most of the people listening probably aren't following a raw vegan lifestyle, for example, um, or exercising six days a week or a lot of the other things you do here. So can we talk a little bit about that core vitality um, amplification that you're all about here? Surely. Uh, most of the listeners are savvy enough to understand that our, all of us should aspire to a clean, organic, plant-based diet. Even if you haven't achieved that yet, or that's not currently your, your mission, perfectly fine. But we pretty much know that. Now, when you are eating foods other than that, and even foods that are cooked, you're taking away the spark of life. And the very same spark of life that makes your heart work is the same spark of life that makes your genitalia sexual. And there's not several energies, there's one energy. As you know, in Eastern philosophy, they call it the chi. We call it life force in a mm -hmm. scientific way. And that life force can, you only have 100% of it. And that's a lot, by the way. You can do an awful lot with 100%. Uh, you can jump off mountains uh, 200 feet and land in water and swim. You can fly planes. You can run Olympics. Uh, you can do endless, whatever your imagination uh, comes up with, you can do. At the same point, that energy, when you're not fueling your body with healthy, clean food, is going to go on taking the disease-causing, non-nutritive, and often dead food out of the system. And that takes, plays a big, big toll on psychology, spirituality, and sexuality. That's why if you study, one of my, my uh, loves is theology. And I studied pretty much all the religions and theology in the world. Not that I practice any of them. Just thought it was interesting why they did that and how they did it and who, who adheres to it. And what I, what I learned is that every single religion, be it Buddhism or Hinduism or Christianity or Judaism, in the beginning speak about what I'm now discussing with you. 
the need for the purity of food, the requirement for fasting. Uh, so they all tell you right up front, chapter one, not chapter two, uh, you better clean up your diet to see God, to reach God. Now, what is God? You know, when we say God and sex together, a lot of you freak out. You, know, you can't say sex and God. Uh, the fact of the matter is, there's no difference between sexuality and God or emotionality and physiology. I mean, all of it is exactly the same. And it's propelled by this force, this life force, this energy, this chi, and it's how we utilize it. So what I'm saying to the listeners out there, just try it. Say one week, I'm going to take uh, an organic plant-based diet. At least 80% of it is going to be uncooked because once you cook it, the vitality is gone. The atomic energy is gone at that point. And see how your mental clarity, uh, sexual desire, and spiritual increment changes. Uh, you know this, love, because you've been here. Uh, but the one comment that we chronically and perpetually hear here by the end of the first week is, oh my God, that was like an exorcism, leaving my old energetic body behind, and now I feel light. And the word light is amazing because they mean light. They're seeing light. They're feeling light. And it's not that they didn't have that. It was paved over. You know, we always are this light. We always are this energy. We always are this vital, extraordinary uh, human being that's part of this extreme system that is endless. It's no beginning and no end. It's a continuum of energy flowing in one direction. And we pave over it and we cement it and we make it dark and we shut the room up and we close it and we compartmentalize it. And the fact of the matter is the diet is the main way to release it. Now, one step more is occasionally not eating. This is why in most of you listening probably were brought up either Christian or Jewish. And what did Moses and what did Jesus do when they wanted to speak to God? And God is not external, it's internal. Speak to themselves, speak to their heart. They fasted and prayed. Yeah, that's my been my experience coming here. You know, I've got a long um, practice of yoga and meditation. I've done three weeks of silence before. And I love it so much when you have that moment when everything else is stilled and you're not processing and you get into this deep listening. I, I have a teacher who says that your um, people who struggle with meditation, for example, are thinking about it all wrong. They're thinking about it like a should, when what it really is, is like I'm having a date with God. I can't wait to sit down on my cushion and have a date with God and listen to what's really needing to stream in. And that's what I notice when I come here as the first week is like oh, any kind of like minor aches and pains are working themselves out and digestion stuff. And the second week, it's emotional. Like whatever is um, has been suppressed or, as you said, paved over when you can't process things and, and there's not a safe space to look at your feelings and emotions, couple that with the diet and all of a sudden your energy goes to the roof. So we're doing this like, like we're going to we're going to take that first step for general vitality. And then in there, there might be a little spark of of stirring of desire that comes back. Um, I think a lot of people who come here come at the tail end of heartbreak or marital dissatisfaction or a breakup or something mm -hmm. like that. And, and the sense of coming into freedom uh, in themselves 
happening here is coupled with the diet and they're starting to see patterns in their relationship and feel what, what they say is feel themselves again in a way. So, so let's say you've gotten to midlife and the spark isn't there anymore. Do you have uh, from your thousands of people you've counseled or talked to any suggestions for people who are trying to rekindle that from square one? Yeah, number one, uh, I'm not one of these guys who think you should discard relationships if they're not working. I think you should work on them. And once it's clear to both of you as partners that it's not working, it's your obligation to leave that relationship. Because what you just said is so poignant that when people have horrible connection with the people they spend 24 hours a day with seven days a week, it is the number one ingredient in creating cancers and other diseases. Not the second, but number one. Oh man, so, I want to cry. That just made me all tear up immediately. That's so true. It's so true. I had, I, mean, a room, I had a roommate here the first week and she was just 20 years in that situation and you could read it in her cells. And by the second week, she was like laughing again a little bit. And she's like, I haven't, I haven't felt this way in forever. Anyway, yes, the longing and hunger for connection. So continue on your opinion about good relationship. This is beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, and I said the word obligation and I don't say that lightly. You know, that's almost a, a dictatorial statement I'm making, but I, I believe it. If, if you have had the uh, gratitude to accept life, it's our necessity to live it at its fullest. And if you're in a relationship like the one you just mentioned, or even for five years or two years that are bad, and you're not feeding one another vitality, you're not feeding one another life force, if you're not best friends, I mean, one of the things that drive me crazy is that 80% of the people I know that have what they perceive as good relationships, they're not friends with their partner. What the fuck is that? How can you not be friends? I, I want to hang out with Anna Maria. I want to be with her. If we were the two last people in the world, it would be okay for me. You know, and what is this? Uh, you know, and the truth of the matter is when you start to lose that mirror, that relationship where somebody is supporting you and loving you and also helping you and guiding you, you start to wither up and parts of your soul and your body wither up. The second thing I'm going to tell you about this is that we must have told 5,000 people to leave their partners over the 50 years I've done this. And that's not a joke. Uh, the two things that Anna Maria even has an opportunity more than me to tell people is either you take off from work or you quit your work. So the two major things that get people sick is work. And as you know, 80% of people, when asked, say they hate their job. They don't use a nice word. 80% of people say they hate what they do 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And when they're not doing it, they're usually sleeping to get ready to do it again. And then they go home to a, a partner where the data shows us for the last uh, 45 years I've been reading it that 90% of people don't have solid relationships. So now you hate what you do during the day. You go home to somebody that you're not friends with, you're not communing with, you're not desiring sex with, you don't want to have fun together, you don't want to play together. And 
no wonder you get sick. So most people aren't nuts, so they don't go to a bridge and jump off, or they don't kill themselves with a gun. What they do is they end up with a disease. Because it's much easier to blame the disease and yourself for not taking back your life. And that's the problem. People just don't live their life, and then they blame some ominous problem for why they're dying. Well, they're committing suicide. That's why they're dying. And the fact of the matter is, it's all in our hands. And anyone who doesn't understand it's in your hands, you've got to wake up. Because if your life is not on course to be the most extraordinary, beautiful event that, that can, can imaginably happen, and you're not thriving, that's because you are not using your vitality. And yes, it's all of the vitalities I'm talking about. This obligation to live your best life, to be in joy, and to step out of the places that you're miserable, uh, that, that is such an attractive idea. What stops people? Why do they, why do they stay stuck? Does it go back to the religious uh, dogmas that you were talking yeah. about earlier? Well, that's why I wrote the book. I mean, if I didn't liberate myself, I would have thought that sex was dirty and that there's something, the murder, every, the 10% of the population that are biologically homosexual are as bad as murderers and that women shouldn't have pleasure. We should cut their clits out or we should shave their head. You know, I would think those things if I followed the rules. And the fact of the matter is mentally sick men made most of those rules. And I said, you know, there's, although I'm a male and I'm a man-man, I'm, I'm, I'm as male as you can be. The fact of the matter is I'm ashamed of my side of the species because mm. we always purport that we're tough and we're strong. And the fact is, we're not showing that. We're showing we're weak. If I've got to take somebody who gave birth to me, my mother, and make her less than me, I've got to, I've got to think my daughter uh, doesn't have the same right that my son has. There's something wrong with that. You know? So the fact of the matter is, this is a, a major issue. This top, topic you're discussing today with me, and I'm sure you on an ongoing basis speak about, this is the reason we have war and hatred and racism and, of course, sexism. All of the isms come because people are frustrated because they're not living at their fullest life. And somebody somewhere told them, this is how a girl acts and this is how a boy acts and this is how a Jew acts and this is how a Christian acts and this is how a Muslim acts and this is... The list goes on. And the fact of the matter is, Unless you raise above the noise, this constant noise that goes on from the time you're conceived and you're in the womb, you're always going to be caught up in the front of a tsunami, running your ass off to survive in front of a tsunami. And the fact of the matter is, you've got to learn to get a surfboard and jump on the top of that tsunami and have a hell of a ride. Have you, have you ever read any Dieter Doom, D-U-H-M? He's, no, the, he's no, um, the founder of Tamera in Portugal. He started the, uh, an intentional community outside of Berlin in the early 70s. And it was all uh, founded on this idea that you're talking about, that suppressed eros and uh, desire and joy are what's behind all war. And so he started an experimental community outside of Berlin that then, you know, 
sort of got slandered because the Germans couldn't handle it. And he moved it to <laughs> Portugal. And yes. it's now located in Portugal. It's Tamera, T-A-M-E-R-A, for anybody who's listening. And they are researching peace. And they do that from uh, interpersonal relationships, free arrows and governance uh, strategies that allow everyone to share the work and environmental work and things like that. Oh, there's a line in this print song that I was listening to this morning. It's like, if they had a love like ours, they'd forget what they were fighting for. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that. I, just, <laughs> yeah. I say that to Anna sometimes. I said, if everyone was in as, as much love as we are, the world would be a different place. Because when you, when you know love and you live love and you share love and you have intimacy, you want everyone else to have that. But when you don't have that, what you see is struggle. What you see is fear. What you see is sadness and unhappiness. And I hear people say it every single day. Well, I'm getting old. No, you're not. You're dying. Your soul is dying. That's what's it. Your light is going out. Your vitality is diminished. Yes, I see people who are 80 or 90 and are full vital. It's not about oh, I, aging. It's a, not it's, at all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a friend that's 106 now. Not 107, excuse me, just... On October 30th, they were 107. And I talked to them about a month ago. And uh, he's a very funny man. And probably five, six years ago, I, I said to him, how long do you think you're going to live? He said, the day I get up and I don't find a way to be happy, the next day I'll check out. Oh, man. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. Yes. So the book is divided up into seven keys understand, imagine, express, protect, nourish, enhance, and prolong as it relates to sexuality. And so you do a lot in the beginning, in the first part of the book, covering the topics, covering topics similar to what we just discussed, like how you get these crazy ideas, and then turning into this deeper understanding that it's healthy, that it's whole, that it's transcendent. And from that place, imagining what it might be like to be living a fulfilled, fulfilled and connected, life with another person or if you're temporarily without a person you know with or yourself. with yourself and with god and with the world like that you can be in full joy and intimacy with a flower at some level and and find bliss there so don't, this is not just a a program about uh marriage or committed relationship it's more of a of a relationship with life itself. Like, are you able to see the effulgent radiance in all of creation and live that every day? That's, that's a, uh, being sensually and sexually alive is a program for everything in, in how you live. That's what the tantricas would say anyway. Okay. So we go deeper in the book and it's express. And then you talk about protecting, nourishing, enhancing, and prolonging. And so I want to dive a little bit into some of that science. There are things in this book that I'd never heard. Like you said, semen has all kinds of nourishing things and antidepressant qualities. Um, and I was like, really? That's a fun oh, yeah. fact. Um, okay. So so tell me a little bit about, about uh, the prolonging component, since we have a lot of people who listen who are, um, you know, in their 40s and 50s, andropause, menopause, that stuff's real. And that's separate from the overall vitality that's nurtured or diminished by how you think and how you eat. Anna Marie and I this year uh, did a brother book called Menopause, which is really about andropause. And more women buy that book because they want to understand their husbands. 
And we'll get to that. As we said, there's a phase of life, different phases. And when you're 19 and 20 uh, years old, uh, basically you can't keep your hands off one another. And that's nature, that's biology, forcing intimacy. And why? To perpetuate the species. When a person reaches menopause, a woman, she basically at that point is liberated to constantly and continually have sex and sexual desires till the day she dies, but without the obligation and the necessity to have a baby. So I think it's God's gift to women to say, hey, you can have fun too without having to go through the pregnancy. And by that point, if a woman wanted a child, she most likely had one or more at that stage. Now, men, just to show you how strange this whole story is, women sexually peak in their 30s to early 40s. Men sexually peak at 19 years old. So at 19, I don't know how I went to school, drove cars, or did anything. I mean, that's all you think about. Now, the other observation that Anne and I made in this book is it's perfectly fine for an old guy to walk around with a young woman. You could have a 25-year-old woman on your arm and be 75, 50-year difference, and nobody's going to say anything to you. But if you see an older woman, even women criticize her with a young man. Oh, what's going on? You know, she must be trying to maintain her youth. Now, let's go back again. I said, theology never beats biology. So the philosophy is that it's fine for men to have younger women because we're the conquerors, we're the controllers, we're the manipulators, but not older women. Nature, the universe, God, if you will, says, no, that's bullshit. That women sexually peak at 35 to 40, that's a fact, not an opinion. Who should they be with? They should be with 19-year-old men, 20-year-old men. And I don't know how many, I know about uh, six or seven relationships like that where much older women have a man 15, 20, 25, 30 years younger. They're spectacular relationships because they're, even though they're young men, these are men that are truly authentic. And an authentic man, and it took me until my 50s to, to get to that stage, uh, realizes that what we're really looking for in a woman is not only the intimacy and the love and the companionship and the friendship, it's a mother. You know, our mothers gave birth to us. And I think it's perfectly healthy to see the mother figure in your lover and the mother figure in your wife and the sister figure and the friend figure and all of those things. So you have to be a pretty secure man to do that because most men, when we start to lose our our chutzpah, when we start to lose our vitality, our energy, our sexuality, we start to freak out. Commonly, middle-aged men leave their wife, even if they have great relationship, and get some young girl to get that vitality back. But they're not going to do it. We literally begin andropause at 26 years old. You begin at 40, 35, uh, 40, 45. We begin at 25, 26. So men have been taught to be this extremely strong figure, a gladiator, you know, a muscular, in control, spitting, cursing gladiator. And we don't have the vitality by the time we're 30 to do that. 
and the time we're 40, but we still have to pretend. And the sick part of this dance is women want that in us. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a social abnormality. And men would never, ever say to the woman, by the way, honey, I'm not, I don't want to have sex 10 times a week like I did at 20. And they're going to try to do that. So this is why things like Viagra became popular and all of these other nonsense things. And the truth of the matter is, yes, diet has to do with this, but psychology has to do with it and hormones have to do with it. It's a natural occurring thing. Nature says at some point men can't go around and fertilize women until they're 100 years old. Because if, if they did, we'd be all screwed up. You wouldn't have, you know, 8 billion people. You'd have 30 billion people if we kept making love until the day we were 100 years old. So all of these dynamics are going on. Women are taught, oh, no, it's a wrong thing. Don't look at young guys. Don't look at their body. Don't think they're hot. Don't talk to them. And women will even say to me, oh, they're too young for me. When the fact of the matter is their libido is saying, holy shit, I'd like to get that guy. And men, by the way, want older women, but because of our social weirdness, we're supposed to be this virile, vital guy until the day we die. And when I get old, women say, oh, you look better, you're getting older. When you get old, we say you look like shit. So these weird dances are going on where our vitality, like it or not, is going down. Women's vitality as ours dropping off the, off the side of a cliff is going up. Women have to pretend not to be sexual. 60% of you, as we report in the book, uh, fake orgasms, not because you think it's a great thing for you, it's to please a man. Because you were taught by your mother. You were taught by everyone else. Your, your job is to please me. And think about all of this insanity. And we're orchestrating it, and we're trying to make it real. Now, if we could just relax and say, look it, what men really want is a lover, a friend, a mother for our children, and a mother, period. Women really want a husband-father figure, but a lover and a friend and a good father for her children. These are the basic things. You want to get to basics at this point. And if we could just realize that, and by the way, honey, at 19, I could have gone to bed for 10 hours straight, but now I'm 35, and by the way, I don't want to do that. I only want to do this twice a week. But if women, by the way, then said, I want it five times a week or 10 times a week, whatever it may be, because that's what your biology is saying, you want that at that point, we're going to start to feel intimidated, and rather than have a conversation about that, nobody even discusses discusses andropause. Nobody even makes, look at, the reason I wrote that last book, Manopause, is I actually asked several of my medical doctor friends what they knew about this, and only two of them knew what the hell it was. These are physicians that are out there trying to talk to men about things. And, and, and so all of this is going on, and the fact is, if we could just have an honest conversation, and by the way, there's other ways you can have. One of the seven rules is that imagination is important. You know, we all say, oh, honey, you've only got to love me. You've got to focus on me. You can't fantasize about anyone but me. That's going to be a shitty relationship, I'm going to tell you right now. There's nothing wrong with fantasy. There's nothing wrong with pleasing a woman who has a 
greater desire than a man and the vitality and the sexual energy to do it, much older than we do, in other ways. It doesn't always have to be intercourse. And by the way, that makes a man more sexual too and more apt to want to have intercourse and intimacy with a woman. So all of these things, in my mind, have to be discussed, have to be talked about, and have to be honestly uh, laid out for people. I was never told I was going to get menopause or andropause at 25. I was never told that by the time I was 40 years old, I'd have about a third of the desire to have sex as I had at 20. You know, who's the number one user group of Viagra? Just to show you how sick this is. It's not old farts. It's young boys between 20 and 28 years old. They're using it as a recreational drug. Think of that. Yeah. This is, I mean, you're basically saying that there's, this is like a, another, a last taboo for men. That because yes, you've is. been so identified with this virility, not vitality, yeah. virility, that when it yeah. diminishes, you don't even talk about it. It was a new term for me recently. It. Yeah. You, you ever hear the term grumpy old men? That's why they're grumpy. <laughs> it's really true i'm telling you <clears throat> you know these guys get fussy and they take it out on everyone around them and because it's in turmoil can you imagine the inner turmoil especially if you were very sexual when you were young and now you have no desire or very little desire unless you take a, a drug and we'll get to something that's better than a drug for men and women by the way uh, and the fact of the matter is, you, you don't discuss it. You don't t talk to your wife or your lover about this. You just hold it in, and every day you get worse and worse and worse. So when they discover that the number one user group of uh, Viagra were these young men, uh, they took Texas A&M and they commissioned them to find a natural uh, Viagra that would be healthy. And they found out it works for women as well as men. Now listen closely, get your pens and papers out there. It is organic watermelon rind and skin. That has some has a phytochemical in it called citrulline. Citrulline. And this opens up the capillaries, opens up the veins, and brings more blood flow not only to your heart and your brain, but also to your libido. And once again, women. This works for you equally. It's a female and a male Viagra. Now, let me blow you out of the water because you're going to know what I'm talking about, love. Do you know the sunflower green sprouts we eat here? Mm -hmm. If you get organic seeds, dry seeds of watermelon, and you plant them as you would wheatgrass or you would sunflower greens, they are mind-boggling. We did experiments with these here a number of years ago. There were people who hadn't had sex, both female and male, in decades that had erections, that had their vaginas basically became uh, wet again and desired. Matter of fact, we had what we were having some of the guests do this year. We had to watch <laughs> what was going on on the, on the campus for a while. So. There are these incredibly powerful agents within nature locked into the cells of nature that literally will keep you young. But remember, all of the social dynamics I spoke about cause a lot of bad marriages. Let's go back again. Psychology has been telling us forever that nine out of 10 
partnerships, marriages are not healthy. They're not loving, supportive, and committed relationships. Something's wrong with that because there's not one of us listening here today, uh, or both you and I, that do not want a relationship. Now, some of you may say, no, I don't, just because you haven't learned to do it right. You've mm. maybe been burned, you know. Mm. And when people are burned, they don't remember or recognize that they were part of that problem. Mm -hmm. They attracted that partner. They allowed that partner to do what he or she was doing to us. So, you know, it's time that all of this nonsense stops where we externalize our problems, we analyze what's going on, and we realize sexual vitality is as important as any vitality. As a matter of fact, it's probably more important than most vitalities. Because when you're 90 years old and your family's coming to pick you up, and you're sitting in the mirror combing your hair, that's sexual hormones that are doing that. Hmm. So this chi, this energy does it. It never goes away. You know, there's something in what you just said that really brought my nervous system down a couple of notches. It was a very sweet quality about accepting what is and saying what is true for you instead of trying to fix something. That is right. so beautiful. This is what I want. This is how often I want it. Um, what does that sound like to you? Is that something you're down with? You know, that kind of honesty, that's the lover friend component that makes life so sweet. Yeah. yeah. And this is why people are running around. Nobody's talking. You may actually be in love with the person you're with and mm -hmm. want to stay with them, but they're not giving you the, the sexuality or they're not being honest or the poor wife, remember 60% of you, admit, God, there's maybe more, admit that you make believe you're, you're climaxing to please me, the man. Mm. So eventually the women, uh, men are shocked. Women are running around now. Well, why not? <laughs> why not? You know, you're finally at the point where you're fed up. And mm. old Charlie there, who's now 50 or 60 years old, who acts like Machivo, he acts like, you know, John Wayne, but he's more like Cinderella. His, his sex hormones are nullified to practically nothing then. Now there's a lot you can do. Diet is part of it, exercise is part of it, muscles are a major part of this. And there are certain foods, as I've mentioned to you, and herbs that work like miracles on these things. But the truth of the matter is, if you don't have a clean mind, a clean spirit, a clean soul, a clean emotional state, a slate of kindness, and empathy and compassion for yourself, you're always going to have these screwed up problems. Hmm. You're, I, I have a friend who is uh, 50 or so, 52 maybe, and he got his testosterone checked. It was like the testosterone of an 80-year-old man. Mm -hmm. And you know he had some concerns that, yes, it's coming from exercise and diet, but also around uh, phthalates and plastics in his food supply. Apparently, no, there's some good kidding. research on that too, yeah? You're not kidding. I mean, I don't know how many times I've read and written about that. I mean, you have to remember that all man-made chemicals, uh, plastics, petrochemicals, look like estrogens to the body. So there's something happening today. Let's talk about uh, uh, heterosexuality and homosexuality. That there are more and more people today that are tending to be feminized as men and women to be more masculine, masculated. And it's exactly what we're now discussing. 
that when a male body gets a lot of estrogen, we tend to be fem feminine. When a female gets more estrogen, you produce more testosterone, you become more masculine. Now, this is a natural occurring thing, so I preface this. So when the healthiest two people that ever lived, let's say a, a male and a female, let's say they've lived healthy, they're perfect, they're not aging, they're not sick, they're going on, having a very long lifespan. Naturally, the man's testosterone goes down starting at 25. And I used to watch men when I was really young, for instance, my age now, carrying their wife's purse for them, these heavy purses. And I used to balk at that. I said, I'll never do that. I'm doing it now. Not because I'm feminine, but before I had this overabundance of testosterone and this male ideology that men can never do that. You soften a little bit. So nature says men soften, and women naturally, under the best conditions, literally start to take the leadership role. Just like I said, women are given the opportunity to make love, to have sex, let's be clear, without having babies, that's one gift. And the other one is, men are these dictatorial creatures in most relationships until you're in your 50s and 60s, and then most men soften, and women take the leadership role. Have you, Start to notice that when you see older couples around. And it's perfectly fine. But the male has to be very, very uh, together, very humble, uh, and very real not to let that affect them. Because, the, again, the society says, no, you're in charge until the day you die. You're in control until the day you die. Frankly, I don't want to be in charge all of the time. When I go home, I don't want to be the nester. I'm not a nester. Uh, it's perfectly fine. Anna Maria or whoever the, your partner is, the female partner, is basically saying to you, uh, you know, this is what I'd like you to do. I'm perfectly fine with it. I can be a boss at my job. I can be a boss where I can be the big shot in other places. But people just who are insecure and out of control, when you're insecure, you're out of control, want to take control, and they're not capable of it because they're not vital enough to do it. And this plays another major role. So going back to that intentional community you talked about, that's why war and hatred and all these isms and, 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 and race problems are happening today. Because people are out of control with their own life. And they try to manipulate and control others. They try to be categorical, compartmentalize everyone. And when things aren't exactly in that box, they freak out and they want to show power. Most leaders today, watch, look around the world. The so-called leaders we have fall into that, the menopause, huffing and puffing, trying to blow the house down just to show that they're strong. And what it really is, is evidencing the weakness and the insecurity and the inability and the lack of focus and the lack of true power. True power is releasing power, not maintaining power. Gandhi was axiom. true. Gandhi was true power. I think we have an axiom in there, Brian's rule, something like the inverse of the amount of bluster you have. <laughs> yes. your, your personal power is the inverse of the amount of bluster you have. You exactly right. The inverse. <laughs> Get rid of the bluster. And you know, it's your inner quiet that's the power. That's so true. Yeah. I love those people who walk around with inner peace and power. You can yeah. feel them in the room.
Yes, it's true. There's so much in here. Um, can I ask you one technical question before we go on? Surely. Um, the estrogen to testosterone thing, you said a, a lot of women I know are taking topical estrogen. What do you mean it converts to testosterone in the body? What are you talking about? Well, you have to understand that there's only so much hormone that a body needs. And once it has excess hormones, be it through a petrochemical or cosmetic, as you know, one of the books we wrote uh, speak about the dangers of cosmetic, another book about clothing. All of these are estrogenic. So if you're taking a biological cream, which is not a bad thing if the doctor keeps monitoring you and changing the formula so you're not taking too much, it's perfectly fine because your body won't overreact and create testosterone. On the other hand, all of the external forces Taking showers, I mean, by the way, a 15-minute shower, the average person absorbs about a liter of water through your skin. That's loaded with plastics and pharmaceutical drugs and heavy metals, and that is estrogenic. Uh, if you're wearing polyester and nylon, as you know, we talk about in, in one of our books, polyester and nylon bras, two major studies show that women have six times more breast cancer. Let me repeat that. Now, people say, well, where do you get a non-polyester? On the internet, organic. I've, I've been wearing nothing but organic underwear for 50 years. Women can get it even easier than men. So here are the things. Now on top of it, you go to some doctor who doesn't know what they're doing just to make a few bucks. They give you a, bio a biological hormone, bioidentical hormone. And by the way, if they give too much and they don't monitor you and change it every three or four months, your body's going to create more testosterone to balance out that. Now, when you get testosterone, what's really weird is that you get more energy, but it's a make-believe energy. It's an amphetamine energy. Notice men that are very, uh, we used to call them jocks when I was a kid. So over-athletic, over-ambitious, over-everything else. These guys have ma major testosterone. Women that we call aggressive, maybe they're not aggressive, maybe they're just talking up, but there are women who are beyond talking up and being taking power back, they are really having more testosterone. So they act more male-like, they bite more. You know, they're more like a wild dog than they are a cat. And so you do have problems happening when you get these estrogenic effects and the body changes. Now, wouldn't it be nice if until the day we die at a hundred and some years old, that we had balanced hormones, that by the way, we, we took our role. Yes, at 80, I'm not the same person I was at 60. I'm not the same person I was at 40 or at 20. That's perfectly fine. But it doesn't mean you have to lose sexual vitality. Uh, in cultures that have spiritual and psychological sanity surrounding this subject and eat really clean, mostly or completely plant-based diets, they're making love until the day they die at 90-some, 100 years old. Uh, I visited one of these tribes of people in Peru, and they were so in love. It was amazing to me. You would see 80, 90-year-old people walking around, holding hands, kissing one another. It was like a love fest there, and constantly having intimacy. Uh, you see more of that in Asia than you see here. And most men, by the time they're 40, that's not most, it's not right, 50% of young men in the West are impotent by the time they're 40. They have erectile dysfunction by the time they're 40.
Now think of that. And at 40, the woman is just sexually peaking, that maybe that's their partner. So what, what kind of relationship is that? You know, it, it, I mean, I could go on for hours about all of this. I have a lot of opinions on this. <laughs> yeah, well, I like your opinions. You are opinionated. Yes. <laughs> and that's because you're uh, well-read. You look for a lot of information and you form informed opinions. So that's why I wanted to talk to you today. So I'm going to wind down and why I usually ask people what's one thing they would like to see people do um, to create more freedom in their life. But you've talked a lot about that. So I think what I'd like to say is if you could wave a magic wand, what's your vision for an optimal sexual and sensual vitality for a person? What does it look like? Number one, that women and men were really and truly equal when it came to sexual expression and sexual desire. And all of that should be on the same exact level. Uh, and that, that would create healthy, healthy people, psychologically, spiritually, and physically. It would create a much healthier society. Uh, I'm, I'm heartbroken when I see the oppression and the accepted suppression, sexual equality is what we're talking about. That would go away. The next thing I would hope is that men would finally get to the point of being men. And men would finally be at the point where they didn't have to hold somebody down to, to crawl on top of them to stand high. But that we take our internal resources, the God we spoke about, the voice within your heart, and really have a conversation with that inner God and ask for help. And the help that you should ask for is to be truthful and persevering and humble and compassionate. And that's the sign of malehood. That's a sign of masculinity. That's my magic wand. I love that. <laughs> I, would, I might add a little enchantment, yes. you know, that we have like a little bit of magic and enchantment in these bodies. And there are so many structural things that are going on in the world and in society that we're unlearning. And so I'd like to hold this vision that you've been holding for so many years of a healed, whole, healthy, planetary body in which people live in harmony with themselves and nature, where they're authentic and true and can communicate what they need and live their lives in joy without harming others in the process. Actually, I don't think you can live your life in joy while harming others. That's an impossibility. No, you can't. So I would like to invite people who have um, been listening to come and look at this book, Seven Keys to Lifelong Sexual Vitality, and the new one, Menopause, and many others. If you go to Hippocrates, Inst I think it's Hippocrates.org, right? Yes, yeah, so we're a nonprofit. So it's Hippocrates Institute or Hippocrates, I-N-S-T, dot org. Dot org. And um, I would say if you can't get out here to South Florida and do an in-person program, please consider doing an online program and just learning some of the basics of this lifestyle and some very important information in the courses on how to reclaim your health and body from dominant systems. And we can all get a little bit, even if you only incorporate one or two things into your daily life, uh, you're gonna feel a whole lot better. 
So I want to also thank you from the bottom of my heart for your, my personal experiences here. What a lovely and um, high vibration endeavor you and Anna Maria have uh, undertaken here. Well, thank you so much. It's been nice to be on with you and everyone else. Okay, folks, I will uh, see, see, look in the show notes for more information. I'll put in all the links for watermelon rind and all of the other things and uh, have a wonderful day. Be fully you. There's, there's no one else. Be fully you and fully authentic and let's see what happens. Okay, ciao. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rose Woman Pod. I'm Christine Marie Mason, your host. The pod is brought to you by Rosebud Woman, a company I started in the intimate skincare space. You can find our amazing products at rosewoman.com. Vegan, plant-based, pure, effective, all the good stuff. The guests and I imagine people out there when we do these shows and think, how can we bring one little bit of insight, one little lever to create more spaciousness or happiness out to the world. So if you like the pod, you know what to do. Please share it, rate it, review it, subscribe, all of that stuff so that we can feel your love and support and keep doing it. Have a wonderful day, no matter where you're at. May the grace and joy that rests at the center of you be readily apparent. <laughs>